And um, I'm going to be opening God's Word for us this morning. Uh, the group of passages that we are looking at today, uh, they're dramatic. It begins with a, a happy occasion of rejoicing and, and celebration, but it ends with division and humiliation. And I think Luke uses these passages to teach us something really important. Uh, I think he uses these uh, passages to teach something to both those who uh, currently trust Jesus and call themselves Christians, and also those who maybe don't trust Jesus yet. So why don't we pray as we start um, that God will speak to us through this passage and that he'll convict and encourage us. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for your word that you speak to us through it. Thank you for the freedom that we have in this country to be able to open it and to hear from you. And Father, I pray that this morning you would help us as we look at this uh, passage, that you would uh, convict us on things in our lives and in our heart that we need to change, that you would encourage us uh, in the truth of who who your son is. Uh, And I pray that you would help us to have open hearts and open ears uh, as we hear from your word. Amen. Well, let's get into it. So Luke tells us this amazing story of uh, Jesus' authority and Jesus' compassion. In verse 10, Jesus is teaching in a synagogue, and it's the Sabbath. Now, that's a really important detail, okay? So we need to remember that. It's the Sabbath. And as he's teaching, there's a woman there. But there's something different about this woman, You see, she's been disabled by a spirit for 18 years. And so she's bent over, she has a hunched back, she can't straighten up. And for 18 years, she's had this disability because of an evil spirit. Well, Jesus sees her uh, in front of everyone. He says, woman, you are free of your disability. He then lays his hands on her and the text says, instantly, she was healed. And so, With simply the words of his mouth and the touch of his hands, Jesus heals this woman. Wow. It's an amazing story. Imagine if you were there and you you saw that. It would be incredible. Now, this isn't the first time that Jesus has uh, healed uh, healed someone. Uh, But there's a couple of things in this story that uh, make it really interesting, that make it a little bit different. Firstly, you see, when Jesus heals someone, often there's a dialogue that goes on uh, between uh, Jesus and the person where they um, either uh, identify who Jesus is, and so they, they see, Jesus, you're the son of God, or you're the king, or there's some sort of profession of, uh, profession of faith, and so they uh, have faith, they trust Jesus that he can heal them. But in this story, Luke doesn't record the woman as saying anything. In fact, it's only Jesus who speaks. Have a look uh, from verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called out, Woman, you are free of your disability. Then he laid his hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. And so he simply sees her and heals her out of compassion. Jesus has compassion, and that's a key theme that we're going to see throughout all of these passages. Well, the second interesting point is in verse 11. It's that this woman is disabled by an evil spirit. You see, this disability uh, wasn't something that she was naturally born with. It wasn't something that kind of developed, but it was caused by an evil spirit inside of her for 18 years. 
Now, for us in kind of Western society in the 21st century, this sounds kind of crazy, right? It kind of feels a million miles away from the world that we live in right now, the idea of evil spirits and demon possession and that they affect us. It's not something that we see in kind of everyday life. It's more like something we read in a book or see in a horror film. But this is a very true reality. You see, we don't simply live in a physical world. We also live in a spiritual world. Satan and and his demons are very real. And spiritual warfare is a reality. You see, we may not see the physical uh, direct effects of the spiritual world in Western society, but make no mistake, the spiritual world does exist. There's a lecturer uh, at college where I'm at, and uh, before he came to college, he was uh, a principal at a Bible college in Namibia in Africa. And he tells stories of how he saw the physical effects of the spiritual world with witch doctors and, and demon possession and all these things. And he says, Africans don't need convincing that there's a spiritual world. And neither did these people 2,000 years ago that Luke is recording. They didn't need convincing that there's a spiritual world because it's real. And so it seems to me that in the West, the spiritual world kind of expresses itself differently. It seems that the, the spiritual world doesn't need to reveal itself physically for us to ignore and reject God because for, for, for Satan, for evil spirits, that's their goal. In fact, their silence kind of helps their cause. You see, we don't believe there's a God because we can't see anything. And so, well, the evil spirits, they just stay silent and success. Make no mistake this morning, the spiritual world is real. And this woman in this story, man, she knew this truth all too well. Now, I don't say this this morning to scare you. uh, And Luke doesn't write this to scare you. In fact, it's kind of the very point that Luke's trying to make. The spiritual world does exist, and while evil spirits and and Satan are real and active in our world, Jesus is king. You see, Luke is showing here that Jesus has authority over evil spirits and over Satan. Jesus simply speaks and lays hands on this woman, and the spirit is defeated. She has no further power over this woman. With Jesus as our king, we have No reason to fear Satan. We have no reason to fear evil spirits. Why? Well, because we have a king that is more powerful, that simply speaks and they are powerless. And so Luke tells us this story to comfort us, to encourage us, to give us confidence when it comes to the spiritual world. But there's a point here that that I need to make, and it's really important. What Luke has recorded for us here is not a diagnosis of all sickness and disability. Okay, so you need to hear this and understand me. Luke is not telling us that all disability and all sickness is the result of an evil spirit. This is not a biology lesson on the cause of all sickness and disability. Luke is simply recording a story to show us who Jesus is, and the authority that he has. And so the application from this passage is not to try and exercise a demon from your friend if they get sick or if they have a disability. No. You see, the Bible is clear that we live in a sinful world. 
And every part of this world is affected by sin, and that includes our biology. And that means that we will get sick. And some people will get more sick than others, and some will have disabilities. And while God has the power to heal the sick and the disabled immediately, and sometimes he does, he doesn't promise to heal immediately. But what he does promise is to heal our relationship with God, which will result in life after death. And that life, that life will be with a perfect body. No more pain, no more sickness, no more disability. And we will see Jesus face to face. That is the promise that Jesus makes. And here, Luke, he's not saying anything different from that. He's simply recording a situation where a woman is disabled because of a spirit, and in his compassion, Jesus heals her to display his authority over Satan. Luke's trying to show Jesus' authority and compassion. But it doesn't go according to plan. It doesn't go according to plan. You see, while for the natural response in me, if I had seen this with my own eyes, my natural response would have been amazement. And you as well, if you had seen Jesus heal this woman, you would have been amazed. And the woman was, in verse 13, she glorified God and the crowd around her probably did as well. But not everyone felt the same. Have a look from verse 14. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded by telling the crowd, There are six days when work should be done. Therefore, come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. And here's the twist. Right? While you'll expect people to be amazed at what Jesus has done, the leader of the synagogue, which is kind of like the Jewish church, he wasn't. Instead, he, he passively rebukes Jesus by rebuking the crowd. And here's where the detail in the story is important. Remember at the start, I said, remember this detail, that Jesus was doing all of these things on the Sabbath. And here's where the issue is. You see, the leader wasn't rebuking what Jesus was doing. The leader was rebuking when he was doing it. You see, the Sabbath is something that was established by God at creation, right? Work six days, rest on the seventh. And the Sabbath was was created for us to rest, to remember God's faithfulness, to remember to trust God and to praise him. But the religious leaders They'd kind of taken this good thing that God had created way to its extreme. And they'd created all of these uh, rules uh, on what was considered work on a Sabbath. And so you could only walk a certain number of steps until it was work. You could only carry a load of a certain weight until it was work. And there's this whole list of all these things that were considered work on the Sabbath. And one of these was healing. And so the leader calls Jesus out. And he tells the people, come back and be healed on another day. And so who is this guy? What can we learn about this leader from his response to Jesus and what he's done? Here is a man who's just seen Jesus perform these amazing acts. And rather than praise God, as the woman does, he feels indignant. And indignant means uh, to feel anger towards something that's perceived as unfair. And so he thought it was unfair that Jesus was healing on the Sabbath, and he was angry. And so this woman who has been disabled for 18 years, 
rather than feeling compassion, this leader feels indignant and angry that Jesus has broken the rules. How consumed by the rules must this man be to condemn such an act of compassion? But then he kind of even goes a step further. And he doesn't even have the guts to rebuke Jesus directly. Rather, he cowardly condemns the people, accusing them for coming to be healed on the Sabbath. And what he's actually doing is passively rebuking Jesus. So it's kind of like, imagine me and my wife, Abby. Uh, we're at home, and I walk into the kitchen, and I walk up to the dishwasher, and it's not packed kind of the way that I like it to be packed. Right? Now, everyone's got their thing at home, you know, yeah, I've seen no, yeah, mine's a kitchen. I kind of just, you know, I, I know the right, you know, the way I think is the right way to do it. So let's imagine I walk into the kitchen, I come to the dishwasher, and it's packed wrong. Oh, that word. It's packed wrong. And I go, right. And I walk out of the kitchen, and I, I find our cat, Holly, and I go, Holly, don't you just hate it when people don't stack the dishwasher right? And I look around, and there's only Abby in the room. Now, obviously... <laughs> I am talking about Abby, right? I'm not rebuking our cat. And this leader, man, he's doing the same thing. He's rebuking the people, but really he's rebuking Jesus. And you see, through this man's response to Jesus, we see so much of his character. We see the state of his heart. And Jesus, man, he sees straight through him. Hypocrites, he says. Notice in verse 15 that hypocrites is plural. So the leader's not just standing there on his own. There's kind of a group around him that in their heart are rebuking Jesus with this leader. And Jesus says, hypocrites. Rather than passively rebuking like the leader does, Jesus confronts them directly. Have a look at verse 15. But the Lord answered him, the leader, and said, hypocrites. Doesn't each one of you untie his ox and donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. So shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? Now, this might not sound like much of a rebuke to you, right? Like if someone says something against you and you're going to come back with a, a quick comeback, this doesn't really sound like much. But man, this is what we call an early Judaistic burn, right? Like Jesus says this back to them, and the group around them would have been like, burn, like, oh, he's called them out. You see, Jesus is pointing out that the religious leaders are willing to work for their animals by leading them to water and untying them to be fed, but they're not willing to work for this woman. And here is their hypocrisy. They're willing to work for their animals on the Sabbath. They're breaking their own rules for an animal. They value animals more than the people that they are called as religious leaders to serve. And so Jesus exposes them. You see, the leader has been so focused on keeping these rules of the Sabbath that are largely man-made that he's hindering people from seeing who Jesus is. Tradition is more important than people for them. They're so focused on, on secondary issues that they miss the primary issue. I wonder if we do this sometimes. 
You know, when I get so caught up on the style of music at church or how certain things are run at church or programs that I'm not compassionate or loving about it. Maybe I miss why we're here, why we do church. Or maybe when I use my serving and my involvement in church, which is a good thing, as an excuse to not love my next door neighbor and to make time to get to know them. Maybe I I cling to a certain tradition or cultural preference that excludes people and comes at the expense of loving them and showing compassion. I'm guilty of this. You see, the response of this religious leader comes as a warning to us. We cannot let traditions or man-made structures come at the expense of showing compassion. We cannot be blinded by secondary things that we miss who Jesus is and what he's done. And so Jesus rebukes the leader. And his rebuke actually creates a divide. Have a look at verse 17. When he'd said these things, all his adversaries were humiliated. But the whole crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things he was doing. Jesus reveals their hypocrisy and they're humiliated. You see, their heart condition has been exposed. People can see it. Who Jesus is, in this case, his compassion, his authority, it divides people by how they respond. And so one group left humiliated and the other group left amazed at what Jesus had done, and they rejoiced and they praised. And guys, this divide on who Jesus is, it still exists today. How have you responded to who Jesus is and what he's done? Because, you see, everyone has made some sort of a response in some way, right? Either you trust Jesus right now, or you ignore or or reject him. But how will you respond to Jesus today? I wonder, is is there something that you're clinging to so much that you're missing who Jesus is? Man, this is so applicable both for those who who trust Jesus and call themselves Christians, but also for those who don't trust Jesus yet. And so will you hear this warning this morning? Because Jesus is about people. Jesus loves people. And this is what I think Luke is trying to show in these passages. You see, I don't think Luke is trying to talk about the Sabbath and have this really big lesson about the Sabbath. I think he's showing that Jesus was addressing the religious leader's view of the kingdom of God, of what Christianity is all about. You see, the religious leader thought that the kingdom of God was about rules and regulations and keeping the law to be acceptable to God. And what Jesus is showing is that the kingdom of God is about grace. Getting something that you don't deserve. The Sabbath is about grace. You see, the Sabbath wasn't created to constrict and to bind people. Rather, we were freed to have a Sabbath. You see, because we don't have to work for our salvation, we can stop and we can trust God. And we can rest in the fact that he has done the work for our salvation. We can rest. 
We can thank him. This is why Jesus says in verse 16, shouldn't this woman be healed on the Sabbath? I mean, of all the days for the woman to come and be healed, shouldn't it be the Sabbath? And this is where the leader had a man-made view of the kingdom of God. You see, he'd missed what the kingdom of God was all about. And so Luke ends these uh, passages, these passages by uh, describing the kingdom of God and what they're like. And he does this by recording two parables that Jesus tells on what the kingdom of God is like. And the first is the parable of the mustard seed. Have a look from verse 18. He said, this is Jesus, Therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And what can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. This is great imagery of the kingdom of God. And Jesus here uses two images to describe the kingdom. Firstly, he uses uh, the mustard seed. And so just as a mustard seed starts really small and it slowly grows into a massive tree, so the kingdom of God will start small with one man and it will slowly grow into something massive. Then we see the second image that Jesus uses and that's the birds of the sky. You see, the mustard tree is so large that the birds of the sky can nest in its branches. Birds of the sky, that image, it represents people of all different nations. This imagery is also used in Ezekiel 17. And so what Jesus here is showing is that the kingdom of God will start small, and it will grow to be something so big that people of all nations will be able to nest in it. They'll be able to have freedom, security, sanctuary, and rest. The second parable that Luke uses is from verse 20. It's the parable uh, of the yeast. Have a look. Again, he said, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it spread through the entire mixture. And so here, Jesus uses the imagery uh, of yeast that's mixed into flour, and the yeast spreads through all the mixture. And while you can't see it, it affects the whole mixture. And so in the same way, the kingdom of God will spread throughout the whole world. And while its effects are often not seen, it slowly works and it will come to completion. It will complete its work. But the problem is this isn't the view of the kingdom of God that the religious leader had. You see, the religious leader, he had a Judaistic view of the kingdom of God. Right? He thought the kingdom was going to come really fast. It was going to be led by this kind of military-like figure that was going to free the Jews. And the kingdom of God exclusively was for the Israelites. But this leader is so blinded by his idea of the kingdom of God that he couldn't see what was right in front of him. The Son of God. The King. The one who will bring in the kingdom. And so, friends, we must never let our idea of the kingdom of God cloud what God has revealed in his word. And so Luke here tries to show that man-made views of the kingdom of God are wrong. And rather, God's kingdom is bigger, and it's richer, and it's more glorious. 
See, the kingdom of God isn't about rules and regulations and traditions. It's about people. It's about compassion. It frees people from bondage to sin and to Satan. It provides rest and and sanctuary where we can stop and we can thank God. We can trust God for the work that he has done. Guys, we are called to be people of compassion, who love and care for people, sharing who Jesus is and introducing them to him at all times to all people. Why? Well, because we have received amazing compassion ourselves. And so how will you respond this morning? Will you trust God? Will you let go of those secondary things that blind you from who Jesus is? Will you let the word of God define what is most important? Will you be people of compassion? That's what I want to be. Why don't we pray? Father, thank you so much for your incredible love and compassion for us. Thank you that you have shown us grace, that while we didn't deserve your love and your salvation, you gave it to us. Thank you for this uh, passage in Luke. I pray that you would help us to think through the things in our lives that might be clouding who Jesus is. Help us to have the courage to be able to remove those. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be people of compassion who love people, who love Jesus, and who want to share that incredible love with others. Amen.